Good evening, LCM. Tonight is March 3rd, 2022. I can hardly believe it. The title of tonight's message is Faithful You Are. We want to tell you tonight, Paul and I do that is, that we feel privileged to stand before you tonight. If you've had a week like the two of us have had this week, then it has been full of construction projects, moving projects, automotive projects, business projects, office projects, and honestly, just a whole lot of unfinished projects. <laughs> that being said, we know how a busy week feels because we personally have been in this position many times. And in this position, there is absolutely nothing better than to get our thoughts off the barrage of projects yeah. that continue to vie for our attention and to begin proclaiming the greatness of Yahweh God, the King of the universe, the God of Israel, the creator of all things. We'd like to open up our time together in Exodus 34, seeing how, great our, seeing how our great God chooses to describe himself and his great character. So say faithful you are as you turn there. Faithful you are. This is Exodus 34, and we are going to be starting in verse 5 in this passage. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him wow. and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Guys, we'd like to open up our time tonight together with our first slide. Because there's nothing better in all of creation than for us to meditate on the character of our king. Paul's going to help us out with this slide. And this should look familiar to you. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness, maintaining love, and forgiving wickedness. Wow. The Lord is proclaiming these things about his character. He came down to Moses and stood by him, and this is how he describes his character, that he is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and so on. Moses is getting a genuine revelation about the character of Yahweh right here in this moment. He could proclaim, faithful you are, mighty God, as he had this interaction with the Lord. He came face to face with Yahweh God. And it's not just something that was written down in the word in a, a second or a third person kind of experience. This is Yahweh God himself speaking about himself. Meaning, this is, he's saying, this is how I want to be known for the rest of the world, for the history of the world and beyond. And these are the seven traits that he states about himself. That is an incredible list. Can you testify to that? Yeah. Our next passage is going to be Deuteronomy chapter 7 
and verse 9. And guys, tonight we're going to continue to not wrestle. We're going to continue to come face to face with the great and glorious character of our king. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. Not a faithful God. Not one of many faithful gods. He is the OG faithful God. Keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. He's the faithful God, church. He keeps his covenant of love. This is the character of our God. He's the one that remains steadfast, a loving father who has extended to us the hope of salvation. And it's a perpetual kind of hope that gets renewed day by day, morning by morning. This demonstrates what it actually means to be faithful. God's faithfulness is a faithfulness that shows itself over time. Did you guys hear that message during worship tonight? It's not a flash-in-the-pan kind of faithfulness. Our God shows his faithfulness over the course of millennia. And he's proven himself as a faithful God over many years. Can we say tonight together, faithful are you, Lord? Faithful are you, Lord. Come on. So let's turn to Deuteronomy 32, and we're going to pick up in verse 3. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. Come on, Pastor He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. This is how we are to declare faithful you are, King of Kings. He is the rock. He is enduring. He is incapable of being worn down. Come on. That is his character. He is faithful, upright, and just in all that he does. He does no wrong. This is how he demonstrates his faithfulness. Guys, when we're in the midst of projects, I'm talking about those projects that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. All those work projects, business projects, office projects, projects in a new house, huh, Paul? All those projects. And we get tired during those projects. When you begin to exalt and glorify the character of the God of hosts, and you understand and you come into realization of who he is, that he's the rock, he does not get worn down, as Paul just said. He doesn't get tired by projects that last millennia. He's not tired of working his will into his creation. In fact, he's the opposite. He's the steadfast and the faithful God. Amen. Psalm 18, starting in verse 1, tells us more about this rock-like character of Yahweh. Amen. It says, for the director of music, of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song. When the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, I love you, Lord, my strength. Verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. Man, he's, he's really capitalizing on that rock theme here. My shield is... And the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. 
I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. In this passage, David gives us great insight into the nature of his relationship with the Father. There's seven attributes here that Paul's going to walk us through. So the first one is, the Lord is my rock. We see again, David is proclaiming, just like the Lord revealed to Moses, that he is the rock. He says uh, that he is my fortress, my deliverer, my God is my rock. He is making sure that we understand that. My shield, the horn of salvation, and the stronghold. All of these characteristics point back to the faithfulness of God. And David is walking through these, recounting these, as he has had victory over his enemies, and the Lord has been faithful to deliver them from them all. David calls, and he is saved. He can, he can write it down. He can know for sure. Lord, when I cry out to you, when I call out to you, I know that you will save me. This is who you are. This is who you mean to me. And he goes further on in verse 25 to say, To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. To faithful men, God shows himself faithful. Can you see that here? Can you see that in Moses' life and in David's life? To the faithful, God shows himself faithful. He initiates it. He proves it. And then he's waiting for us to reciprocate that faithfulness back to him. Let's take a look at some faithful men, starting with Abraham in Genesis 18:16, right after his time with the three visitors, and he discovers that he and Sarah will have a son in less than a year's time. So turn to Genesis 8, 18, verse 16. Now, Elder John is traveling and with another one of our brother churches in the One Association tonight. But think about the faithfulness that Elder John and his beautiful wife showed before they had children. We're talking about 14 years of time here. And that consistent faithfulness, how do you think that happened in their lives? Well, we're going to begin with Abraham here. And as we walk through and look at our first case study of the faithful man Abraham, we want you to have your eyes opened maybe to some aspects of these men's lives that you might not have noticed before. You guys ready for Genesis 18, 16? When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Guys, we all know that Abraham was a man of God, and he was called by Yahweh God. We also know how God chose him. He hand-picked Abraham, right? And we also know that Abraham was a man who was faithful to the Lord. So he was called, he was chosen, and he was faithful, just like Revelation 17, 14 talks about. But we still had some questions as we were studying this this week. Paul and I were scratching our heads a little bit about this story together. Why did Abraham have these three spiritual visitors from the Lord Come and see him of all people. That's a pretty good question, isn't it? Why did the Lord ask this question? Shall I hide my plans from Abraham? Why did the Lord ask that? What was so amazing about Abraham here that even God did not want to hide his plans from him? Those are valid questions, aren't they? 
Well, we get our answer and get more insight into what the Lord was seeing, starting in verse 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So Abraham was chosen by God. Abraham was chosen knowing that, he, that God had plans for him to be a blessing to all nations. So because you know that he was chosen by God, aren't you tempted to put Abraham in a whole different category than yourself? Don't we often do that? When we hear Abraham, the father of the faith, it's like, well, he's just in a whole nother category. God chose him for that. I don't display the faith quite like Abraham did because I'm not chosen like he was. Well, let's look into the word for chosen in the Hebrew on our next slide. For I have chosen him, for I know him, I yadah him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham. A ver- yadah is a verb meaning to know. The Lord knew Abraham intimately. The Lord chose him. He knew that he would do everything that the Lord selected him for, that he would command his family, that he would lead them well, and that nations would be blessed through him. So why would God reveal his plans to him? Because he knows him, and he knows Abraham's heart. For those of us that know this story know that Abraham goes on to go back and forth with the Lord Kind of like a father and a son would go back in a conversation of, Lord, would you really do this for 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10? What kind of relationship has to be there to have that communication with the Lord? It is faithfulness being displayed by God and by Abraham back to God to to accomplish the righteousness that the Lord had for him. So hear us out here. The text doesn't actually, in the Hebrew, it doesn't actually say, chose him. It actually says, I know him. I know Abraham. I'm intimate with this man. We have a relationship with one another. So why did he get three visitors and other people didn't? Because they had a friendship together, he and God. Why in the world was he blessed the way that he did? Why did he, why did God ask the question, should I keep my future plans from Abraham? God revealed his plans because they had a relationship with one another, guys. It wasn't some like, I chose Abraham and just because I chose him, he gets these special privileges. No, it was based on the friendship that was built over the course of years that God enabled him to be close to him and to know his plans. The relationship that Abraham had with the Lord caused Yahweh to ask, hey, this is my friend here, guys. Abraham is somebody that I'm close to. Shouldn't I reveal my plans to this man who is my friend? Guys, are you not stirred by that kind of relationship with the Lord? Is that not something that you deeply desire? That you have a friendship with God to the point where, just like Abraham, he is revealing his plans to you because he says, no, 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 Linton's my friend. We have a relationship with each other. Should I not reveal my future plans with Justin Linton? He's a friend of mine. Guys, that relationship is why 
Abraham knew the plans of God and why he walked faithfully in the will of God. God revealed his plans and Abraham knew his will and he walked faithfully in it. It wasn't just that moment though. The level of intimacy between Abraham and God, it only increased as they displayed their faithfulness to one another. See, Yahweh God displayed his faithfulness to Abraham, and Abraham displayed his faithfulness back to Yahweh God. And that relationship deepened and deepened and deepened as the years went by. So let's check out another faithful man, beautifully portrayed in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Y'all go ahead and start turning there. In this passage, a man of God came to Eli the priest and delivered a prophecy to him that was against his whole house. At the end of the prophecy, while the future of the house of Eli is not looking too bright, the future faithfulness of the priesthood of Israel will be revived. Listen as we pick up in verse 35 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. It says, I will raise for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. Imagine this kind of encounter. Eli is the one who's receiving this message, but it's actually speaking about the young boy, Samuel. And Samuel ministered faithfully before the Lord under a man who was cursed by God. Picture that kind of intimacy that's needed there on Samuel's part to know these things, to have this revealed to him, and to know that the man that he's serving under is actually cursed by God, but that God has intention to revive the priesthood through him. Whoa, 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 whoa. We can't, we can't just immediately move on from this point, Paul. This is a good point that you're making. Yeah. The boy Samuel was faithful under the authority that God had established for him, whether that authority was being godly or was not being godly. That's an important point to grasp from this faithful man's testimony. Samuel ministered faithfully before the Lord under a man who was cursed by the Lord. His family was judged by the Lord. His family line ended up being erased by the Lord. And Samuel still chose to minister faithfully under him. See, faithfulness under hostile Conditions is one of the greatest indicators that you are a man or woman of God. Not just hostility in the workplace. That's obvious. Not just hostility with strangers. That's expected of you as men and women of God. What about this one? What about to all of our beautiful wives in the room? What about when you're feeling hostility from your own husband. What then? Your faithfulness in those conditions is one of the greatest indicators that you are a woman of God. Come on, women of God. Say it with me. I am faithful. faithful. Even under hostile conditions. conditions. Uh, I think we need to do that one more time. I am faithful. Even under hostile conditions. conditions. There you go, women of God. Samuel was a man who was called by God. He was chosen by God to be the faithful priest that would lead the people to walk faithfully before God. And Samuel proved himself faithful. 
Let's fast forward just a few years and go to 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23. As Samuel makes a proclamation to all the people of Israel much later on in his life in his farewell speech. Picking up in verse 23. <clears throat> As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Can you believe the faithfulness that Samuel is putting on display here? Can you see that? At the very end of his life, when a king is about to be appointed, not the end of his life, but his leadership over Israel is about to be transitioned over to the king of Israel. And he's saying, far be it from me that I should fail to pray for you. Far be it from me that I should fail to teach you the way that is good and what is right. You have sinned greatly before the Lord, but hey, don't turn away from him now. Remain faithful. Amen. Serve him Amen. faithfully. Samuel's faithful convictions was passed on to the people for them to walk in it as well. He was praying for them. He was reminding them to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. He was helping them remember the great things God had did for them. So husbands, how do you meet the faithfulness of your wife when you see it? When you see these things and you have to call them out, you pray for them, you teach them the way that is good and right, you remind them to fear the Lord and to serve him faithfully, and you help them remember the great things he did for them. Come on, husbands. This is what you're called to do. You start by praying for your wives. You teach them what is good and what is right from what you know from the word. And you remind them to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. What a faithful man of God Samuel was. Since we have hit men from both the Torah and the Nevi'im, let's move to the Ketuvim and speak about a man of God who put on display what we're talking to you about tonight in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Faithful you are as you're turning there. Nehemiah 1.5. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night, for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Come on, guys. Nehemiah shows us exactly what faithful men do, even in the most dire of circumstances. He is calling on the name of his God, the great and the awesome God, to hear his prayer that he's praying and lifting up before him day and night. Nehemiah is having a very similar kind of experience that we read about in Daniel. And we studied in Daniel together. Where he's praying day and night. And he's bringing his requests and repentance before the Lord. And he's earnestly seeking him. Nehemiah is faithful to pray until God hears and God responds. And Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. He's in a pretty good position, and he sees the condition of the people, and this is his heart's cry. 
this is what he's looking at in God's heart. He says in verse 7, we have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed your commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Look how faithful Nehemiah continues to show himself faithful. Like Nehemiah, faithful men take full responsibility for their sin and the sins of their families. We need to grow in this. We don't need to shove off responsibility. We as men need to take that responsibility on ourselves, come face to face with it, reckon with the fact that we are weak, we cannot do this. Lord, we are crying out to you. We need you to save us. And we have sinned, and we acknowledge that, and we need you to come in to deliver us. For Nehemiah, it wasn't their sins. It was our sins. It wasn't my disrespectful wife. It was us. It wasn't my disobedient son, it was us. It wasn't my clueless ministry partners or my immature team, it was us. We have acted wickedly. We have not obeyed. Are you being moved by this type of faithful heart that Nehemiah is displaying? Come on. Pick up in verse 8. Before we move on to verse 8, I just want to make sure that you guys got that. It wasn't their sin. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, and he is living a life that's proving himself faithful. But he doesn't separate himself from the other people that are also called by God that he's working with. He doesn't say, my sin and their sin. He says, yeah, if, if my wife sinned, then it's our problem. And we're going to deal with it together. We're going to repent together. And we're also going to get it right together. If my sin is going through hardship and he's sinning, it's our problem as a family. And we're going to walk through it together. Son, come over here. Let me teach you how to repent before the Lord. We repent before you, mighty God. We bring our sins before your throne, mighty God. We want to change. We are asking for your transformation power. Guys, that is what it looks like to disciple your home like a faithful man like Nehemiah did. Verse 8 says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are on the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Guys, he's calling to remembrance God's promises to Moses. Those promises that we read all the way back in Exodus chapter 34. He's also confessing the sins of Israel before God. He's counting on God's faithful character to forgive them, to restore them, to help them to conquer their sinful state and to begin to walk in faithfulness that reflects the faithfulness of their father. He also understands that to hold God to his word He's reminding him, God, don't forget. Don't forget about the promises that you made. Don't forget about the prophecies. I want to walk a life that walks a life that has your prophecies in view and that lives like I have convictions that what you have said is true. Let's turn to the end of Nehemiah. Let's see how the end of the story turns out for Nehemiah and the men of God around him. This is going to be chapter 13, and we're going to pick up in verse 10. Faithful you are. Faithful you are. Faithful you are. 
I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, Why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their post. Faithful men like Nehemiah display God's heart for his house and for the priest. We can see this here in Nehemiah's life, that he's not just concerned with the rebuilding of the, the wall, that he's actually considering the affairs of God's house, that he's putting things in right order. He's going to the Levites, he's going to the priest, and he's saying, you need to be stationed at your post. He's setting things in order, and he's setting an example for the people. The house of God and his priest should never be neglected. Amen. Let's continue reading in verse 12. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan, son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, their assistant, because these men were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for, dis for distributing the supplies to their brothers. So, while we can clearly see Nehemiah's faithfulness over time, and it's truly astounding, by the way, what is even better than that is that we're reading about faithful men that Nehemiah himself raised up all around him. Amen. Faithful men like Nehemiah make sure to surround themselves with faithful men, and they also raise up other faithful men to stand right alongside of them. So let's finish out in verse 14. Remember me for this, O oh my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. So we tend to think about Nehemiah as only being attributed with rebuilding the wall. But Nehemiah accomplished so much more as he was governing Jerusalem. He was setting the standard for the people. He was setting things in right order. He was working faithfully in conjunction with Ezra the priest to establish right order in God's house. And toward the end of Nehemiah's life, his continual cry throughout the last chapter of Nehemiah is, Lord, remember me for these actions of faithfulness. Oh my God, remember me for these actions of faithfulness. Doesn't that want, don't you want that to be your heart cry? Yeah. Lord, remember me for my faithful actions for you and for your house. We will have that same cry. We will have that same faithfulness, church. In order to ensure that our faithfulness continues to grow, we'd like to clench with you tonight regarding some of the areas of our own faithful, faithlessness. So as I was reading Nehemiah 13, and I'm being impacted even more by his faithfulness and how he continued to walk it out through the very end of his life, I realized how much I've neglected God's house how much I've focused on my own life. And as I'm unpacking that and unfolding it, I realized uh, just how much I was focused on my own life and what's going on. Yes, I just moved into a new house. Yes, I've got remodel projects going on. But it, those were getting better focus from, from the Lord, for the Lord, than me actually being faithful to him and to his house and to his people. Not seeing the results that I want in the time that I want, it was just more and more frustrating for me. It caused me to be more prideful. 
and more arrogant because I'm saying, Lord, these are your plans. I know that, but why can't they be my plans? Have you ever done that in your life? Yeah. Where, where you're getting frustrated because you know that God, they're God's plans. You know that it's his timing, and you just want to produce it the way that you want to. And the Lord has to slow you down and say, who are you being faithful to? Are you even being faithful, or are you being faithless? Come on, guys, clench with, clench with our experiences tonight just a little bit. Let, let me bring out something to the surface for you. In the, in the last, we're not even talking about the last week. We're talking about the last three days. In the last three days, there's been conflicts with brothers. There's been conflicts with the shop as a business entity. I myself have been fighting with the uncertainty of what is to come, like the future, being quote-unquote insecure, no, being faithless about the future of what's to come. Let's call it what it is, right? And I'm losing that fight over the course of the last three days. Faint-heartedness is overwhelming me. Faithlessness about the future is overcoming me, and it feels very much like I'm drowning in these feelings and emotions in my own mind and in my heart. Come on, I can see your heads nodding. I can see that you guys are experiencing some of the very same things this week. Guys, I want to tell you this is not the heart of our king. This is not the direction of our king. And we need to clench with this kind of attitude tonight. I'm not leaving through those doors tonight with this same kind of attitude still on my heart. Paul is going to lead us in Psalm 55 and verse 16, and we are going to get, start to get this right right now as a body. But I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from every battle waged against me even though many oppose me what enemy distresses us the most if it's not our own carnal nature and this is what we're grappling with tonight and this is what the lord is revealing that evening morning and noon we must cry out to him in our distress yeah. just like nehemiah did just like moses did praise god we can present our stony hearts before the lord evening morning and noon to be to be given hearts of flesh inscribed by God's law. How important is it for us to develop this pattern of communing with God? I know how important it is, and I still struggle to be faithful in this. I still struggle to evening, morning, and noon be dependent on the Lord. It will produce the kind of relationship we're desiring, though. It will produce that faithful intimacy with the Lord that we desire because we're crying out to him knowing that he will hear our voice. Amen. And Psalm 119 directs us in what our response should be when the Lord does hear our voice. Guys, this is good. Psalm 119 verse 145 is where we're going to start. This section is the section called Kuf. It is represented by the sun on the horizon, and it means condense circle or time so you're picturing the sun and it's telling the state of time in a single day 145 says i call with all my heart answer me O lord and i will obey your decrees 
I call out to you, save me, and I will keep your statutes. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Guys, Psalm 119 is probably written by Ezra. Ezra is crying out here in the midst of his own conflicts. Dare we say, in the midst of clenching with his own times of faithlessness. And he's crying out here, and we get to see it. We get to experience what he did. What a faithful man Ezra was. He had learned to meet his own faithless thoughts and emotions with the following. Calling out to the Lord with all his heart. He was confronted with his own faithlessness, and what did he do? He called out to the Lord to save him. What did he do? He rose before dawn to cry for help. What did he do? He kept his eyes open through the watches of the night to seek the Lord and to meditate on his prophecies and to live in his promises. Do you see the faithfulness that these actions produced? The Ezra goes on to say, I will obey your decrees. You hear that kind of confidence? I will do that. I will keep your statutes. I have put my hope in your word. Can your faithfulness rise with us this evening like we see it rose in Ezra? Well, saints, when we cry out to the Lord, like we see here in Psalm 119, we can know that we have a faithful God who will hear us and answer our cry. We can trust that even though our enemies are near, our faithful Father is even nearer. As we clench with our faithless speech and actions, we make the turn by crying out to our friend, the Lord, and becoming obedient to guarding his word. Let us remind you of a favorite, favorite passage of ours from Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Saints, the Christian that is faithful in prayer is always full of the knowledge and power to perform God's will in their daily lives. As we increase our faithfulness in our prayer with the Lord and we're communing with him, we can know that his power will work through us. We can know that those dark times that are behind us, uh, they are just that. They're behind us and we're moving forward in power. Amen. Why is this so true? Because when we are faithful in prayer to him, like Ezra in Psalm 119, he reveals his plans to us just like he did to Abraham. So we got a, we got a little quote for you guys tonight. Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, a.k.a. Maimonides, also known as Rambam. This was a rabbi in the 12th century, and he had quite the life of opposition, quite the life of insecurities about the future. He moved and lived in different places from Spain all the way to Egypt, all the way into Israel. We wanted to show you this slide and give you an idea about the future that this whole planet is destined for. This is Maimonides, a.k.a. Rambam. It says, in that era, the era of Mashiach, there will be neither famine nor war, neither envy 
nor competition. For good things will flow in abundance, and all the delights will be as freely available as dust. The occupation of the entire world, the occupation of the entire world will be solely to know God. As it is written, for the world will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the ocean bed. <laughs> that is Rabbi Maimonides. So in this message, we are, we are clenching with our current state of affairs as well as our current state in general. But we're not stopping there tonight, church. Amen. Know that your inheritance as well as the future occupation of the entire world is both knowledge and intimacy with Yahweh God. That is where all of us are going. But we don't have to wait until then. Amen. We don't have to wait until some moment somewhere in the future. In fact, we can't wait till then, church. Amen. We just can't do it. We need our friend, the Lord, to share his plans with us. And we need it now. Amen. We need our friend, the Lord, to be intimate with us. And we need him now, church. We get to participate and taste of these things now. Amen. The entire point of this message <clears throat> is to spur you on to a life worthy of the Lord. Our sole desire tonight is to stir you to a desire to please him in all respects. What we really want to ask is, how do I practically make this happen right now? So let's turn to Colossians 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 9, and we're going to read this in the NET. For this reason, we also, from the day we heard about you, have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects, yeah. bearing fruit in every good deed, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, you qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. So how do you live a life worthy of the Lord? How do you please him in all respects? Let's throw that slide up on the screen. Number one, you bear fruit in every good deed. Two, you grow in the knowledge of God. Three, be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness. And four, joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Church, we just learned an incredible truth here. I don't want you to miss it. The scripture just showed us how to live worthily of our king. It just taught us how to please him in not some respects, in all respects. If these things are how to live a life that is worthy of him, where is your concern that you just don't know where you're going to be next year? Where is that? It's not present in the scripture. It has nothing to do with your worthy life for our king. Where is your concern that you haven't personally heard that you're called to a swan yet? And I say yet, because it's coming. But where is your concern in this passage? It's not there. 
Where is the concern that you don't have your team just yet? You don't have singles. You don't have your future spouse just yet. It's not all figured out. It's not there. It doesn't exist in this passage. There is no concern here. The only concern is bearing fruit in every good deed on a daily basis, growing in your knowledge of God, being strengthened with his power, and going after his joy and giving thanks for the process. That's how you live a life worthy of King Jesus and learn to please him in every good way. The only concerns that Paul and Timothy have here are these. We're going to throw another slide up here, and I want you to pay specific attention to what's added to it. So we bear fruit in every good deed. This requires us to walk through the proving grounds of pruning, correction, and the necessity having the sign of circumcision. We grow in the knowledge of God. This requires time in his presence, time in his word, and building a friendship with him face to face before him. Be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness. This requires situations where we are facing the fact that we are devastated, weak, and experience death so that his strength and life can be put on display. We're undone before him. We're joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. This requires your personal choice to be joyful because he has qualified you, because you do share in the inheritance of the saints. Is it not written? Church, nothing can take that away from you. So you didn't fully grasp it. You didn't fully understand it. But what we have been preaching on for these last few weeks has been walking you step by step in how to live a life that is worthy of the Lord and that pleases him in all respects. That being said, if we had to narrow it down to just one desperate need that we all must grab a hold of tonight, we need to return to the Torah to drive it home. Let's move toward a close tonight by revisiting where we, where we began in Exodus 34, proclaiming the great character of our king. But we will begin a few verses earlier, starting in verse 1. So we're going to back up at Exodus 34, all the way back to verse 1, and start reading here. Get a little bit of context for where we started this message. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Guys, these actions are what preceded the Lord's great proclamation of who he is. Moses himself had to come face to face with the fact that he had broken what God had given him. And he needed to bring the tablets of his heart back to the Lord again. This was anything but a one-time event. He began that day by approaching the Lord with the tablets of his heart in his hands. And he drew near to his God because the Lord was his friend. That's why he could have the confidence to draw near. He was his friend. 
and he was a friend of the Lord. He had a heart that wanted to please his father above all other things. This is the key here. This was Moses' heart. He wanted to please the father. When the Israelites were sinning against God, he was included in that as he prayed to the Lord, as he beckoned the Lord to have mercy on them. He wanted to please his friend and his father. He had experienced the faithfulness of Yahweh God many times over, and his overarching desire that the drive of his life was to reciprocate that faithfulness back to him. As he's experiencing that faithfulness from God, he's not just asking for, for the Lord to be faithful again and again to him. He's saying, Lord, would you help me to be faithful to you? It was this relationship that the Lord, that caused what happened next in verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. Church, when you present yourself before your king, morning, noon, and night, because you desire a friendship with the Lord, then the Lord himself will proclaim to you some things about his character that only can be revealed by him. This is the first slide that we had. He is certainly all of those things, and he wants to be known by this kind of character. Amen. Guys, you're going to continue to deepen in your genuine revelation about the character of Yahweh God. You will be able to proclaim from your innermost being, faithful are you, mighty king. Amen. We've got one more passage for you tonight. It's Psalm 85. It's our final passage of the evening, and we're going to start in verse 10. Say, faithful you are as you turn there. Faithful you are. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Your wholehearted desire to live worthily of the Lord will cause your faithfulness to spring forth from the earth. As you desire to live worthily before God, then you will rise in your faithfulness toward him. Faithful you are, Lord, and faithful you are, church. You need to get that down in your heart. As we declare, God, you are faithful, you need to know, Lord, you will help me to be faithful as well. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. And how does this happen? Because when you turn to him in these ways, he makes you like him. So let's throw that slide back up one more time. He will make you compassionate. You become compassionate to those around you. You become gracious in mediating for your family. You're slow to anger when you're not agreeing with something especially when you're having a conversation with your wife, especially when I'm having a conversation with my wife, I need to be slow to anger. You become abounding in love. You become abounding in faithfulness. You are able to maintain love 
to those in your life who need to experience it consistently and you become forgiving as the Lord is. Tonight, church, stand up with us. Tonight, we wanted to use our time together to firstly come face to face with the faithful God that we serve, but lastly, to understand that as we come face to face with him and we present ourselves before him, he will make us like him. He will make us like his character. That being said, tonight, this altar is open for two very specific purposes. The first one, if you've been convicted tonight over a very specific pattern of sin in your life, you're realizing that it's as a result of you not having his faithfulness to you in your view, this altar's for you. Secondly, if you've been convicted tonight over a very specific pattern of sin in your life, and you're realizing that it is as a result of you operating in pattern faithlessness, then this altar is for you. Now, if you're not at this altar tonight, we want you to make an overwhelming effort to intercede from your seats for your brothers and for your sisters who are up here. Lift your hands with us tonight. Let's begin to intercede before our faithful God. Let's begin to lift up our souls to him in prayer. Mighty God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. God, we cry out to you. Father, would you make us faithful as you are faithful? Lord, would you continue to bring us through those areas of weakness, Lord God, to expose, Lord, where we are lacking. God, that we can cry out to you evening, morning, and noon, knowing that you are faithful to hear our voice, to answer us, God. Lord, we want to be faithful, Lord, to the very end. Lord, we want to be friends with you and know you intimately. God, we thank you for these men that we looked at tonight, Lord, who have displayed that faithfulness. But, Lord, we want it to be written about us. God, we say it is written about us, and we want to fill those pages, mighty one. God, we thank you, Lord, for your character that is being revealed to us. Lord, would you reveal your character inside of us tonight? In Jesus' name.